Tonight's topic is going to be a great psychologist by the name of D.W. Winnicott, Donald Woods Winnicott, and he, for me, is one of the most interesting psychologists of the 20th century, and a kind of a revolutionary figure, and surprisingly, given what he taught, he was British. Go figure. Um... So I'm just going to launch in, and I'm going to then at the end explain how Donald Woods Winnicott's views overlap with early Buddhist teaching. Um, Donald Woods Winnicott came up with some of the most important concepts that are still in use today in psychology, theory, the therapeutic uh, alliance. One of his first ideas was that a mother doesn't have to be perfect or a caretaker. She just has to be good enough. And he came up with the phrase, the good enough mother. The good enough mother makes the baby, or the good enough father, makes the baby feel all-powerful. The baby feels cold and suddenly a blanket appears. The baby feels thirsty and suddenly a breast appears. The baby feels frightened and a warm a reassuring embrace appears. And so the baby with a good enough mother feels omnipotent, all-powerful, because whenever it experienced something, soon enough the mother would bring a solution. The mother would bring uh, a resolution to the baby's emotions. So the baby felt understood and the baby felt safe. And interestingly enough, as we go through our lives, many of us seek places where we can swing, like in hammocks, or ride, I love riding my bike, like riding in rowboats, we like feeling hugged. All of these are, in essence, a felt return to that, what he called, holding space, whereas infants, we felt we were in a realm at the beginning of life where we were safe and secure and our needs were met. The, uh, a holding environment with a, a tolerant caretaker is essential, Winnicott said, to developing a self. An authentic self happens when we are free to express fluid impulses, fluid needs, fluid desires, when we can be at times aggressive or frightened or sad or whatever, we can express any emotion and the caretaker will understand that emotion and will not drop us, not push us aside, not reject us. So key to Winnicott's philosophy is that um, we need a tolerant, safe space to flourish as authentic individuals. Um, Eventually, after, if all goes well, the good enough mother who is sacrificing a lot of her life to provide this, to say the least, eventually, hopefully, will get a little bit tired of this arrangement. And gradually, over the course of the maybe around age one and a half, two, two and a half, will begin to gain more interest in the world around her. And she will slowly begin to respond to the infant's needs less immediately. And the infant will begin to experience a gap between its emotional expressions, like crying, and suddenly the mother's attention. When the child is 
six months old, it cries and attention will be immediately generally provided, but eventually the good enough mother will uh, withdraw to the world and there'll be a pause between the child's cries or aggressive stomps or banging for food or yelps or laughing or whatever the child does and the response of the mother. So the child eventually begins to realize that not all needs are immediately gratified. And then eventually there will be other figures that the mother will rely on to take care of the infant. And eventually the child will begin to realize that the world is a place where not all of its needs are met or understood. And that sometimes um, others will not comply. So, for instance, a child might grow up in a very uh, tolerant emotional environment where when it cries or when it acts aggressively and it starts throwing its toys, the parents are understanding and safe and simply responsive and uh, uh, reassuring. But eventually the child will be in the realm of other children with other parents in a playground where their aggressive acts will not be so tolerated. And... Uh, if this transition happens too quickly, dire consequences can happen. That what's key is that there's a smooth transition from what he called the, the uh, subjective realm, where we feel like gods, where all of our needs are tolerated, where every, we can express every emotion and behave in any way we want, and what he called the realm of objective reality, <laughs> which is... If you haven't guessed it, it's a different place. And Winnicott, I think, rather brilliantly suggested a couple of things. He said that children need what's called transitional objects to manage that movement from the realm of pure safety and power to the realm of objective reality. So what are those transitional objects? Well, you all know them. They're called security blankets, toys the things that a child is given around the age where it's asked to sleep in its own room or it's asked to spend time on its own. Children around the age of two, two and a half start dragging around with them a toy. Uh, a, uh, I had a monkey. Uh, my sister had a big stuffed frog. Not a real frog that was stuffed, just a <laughs> bag uh, frog. So we use transitional objects as a way to mitigate between the realm of uh, we felt powerful and safe in the areas where we feel alone and vulnerable and where our needs will not be met. And we all, throughout our lives, rely on transitional objects. If you look at anybody going into an environment where they feel vulnerable, the first thing they'll do is bring out their smartphone. It's a transitional object that makes us feel connected to someplace that's safe. It's a totemic object that allows us to return back to the loving tit of the mother. No, it's not, but it's close <laughs> enough. So you get the idea. Uh, we spend our entire lives moving between subjective omnipotent spaces where we feel safe, like our apartments. If you're an artist and you have a place where you make your art, a place where you play, if you're a musician, you have a recording studio, if you're a writer, you have your laptop, if, well, you have your space where you feel omnipotent, and then you have those space where you are in social realms where other people are unpredictable, and you have to compromise to get your needs met. 
The problem, though, Winnicott noted, is that in many children's case, the movement from feeling safe and omnipotent to the realm of the cold, objective reality where we constantly have to comply and perform to get love is done in a very jarring manner, is done too soon, or done without much understanding. And so what happens in those cases is that the child fails to develop a coherent sense of identity, a me, that's based on really spontaneous, authentic you know, actions, which according to Winnicott, an authentic self is not nice and tidy. A spontaneous self has all the different emotions. It doesn't always make sense. It's very, at times, impulsive. It's very liberated. It's not constrained by strict gender or sexual assignments. The authentic self flowed in various directions. And that, uh, interestingly enough, though, if we are foisted too quickly into the realms of compliance, where, or if our parents do not provide that secure holding space, he called it, where we felt all of our needs would be met, then we become overly compliant, and we develop what he called a false self. And the false self to Winnicott is not spontaneous. It's not something that uh, is fluid and flows in all directions. It's something, a behavior, that is repeated to get the attention of others in a secure, tolerant way. So a child that grows up with adults that do not provide secure, loving, caring attention will develop um, strict protocols of behaviors that are not authentic to get its needs met. So very often in the world we love, (laughs) this is one of the sad ironies, we love the idea and parents often love the idea of the gifted child who's great, the little Mozarts who are exceptional in one area of development. But a Winnicott-influenced psychologist would look at such a child and say, "Uh uh-oh, this is a sign that the child didn't feel safe and secure and able to flow and develop skills in a wide array of areas. This is a child who felt the need to master the piano really quickly and early to get any love and support from his parents. So the child prodigy is very often, in, a, in Winnicott's view, the sign of a child that developed a false self. An authentic child would have interests flowing in all directions. One day it might paint, one day it might stomp on the piano, one day it might act or dance or sing. It wouldn't have its, all of its endeavors flowing in the exact same direction. Is this making you guys following a little bit? Okay. <laughs> so, um, the false self is a place where the child represses a lot of its emotions and performs emotions to get secure attention. Um, I read an interview, I can't remember, if I think it was with Jim Carrey, and it was, I believe, after the time that he made in, uh, uh, 
Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Is that the name of the movie? Mm -hmm. it was, and somebody asked him why he was no longer making funny movies. And actually, that movie happens to be quite funny but uh, in its own way. But uh, Carrie, in the interview, said that he grew up in a large family where the only way he got secure connection was by being funny. And he realized, finally, that he was tired of the inauthentic need to perform constantly to be funny all the time to feel uh, real because it no longer made him feel real. He needed to act out the other emotions that didn't give him attention in his core family structure. So uh, many of us never get to that point. Some of us grow up to be doctors or lawyers. We uh, wind up 50 or 60 years of age holding the trophies associated with a successful career and feel completely empty and inauthentic because the way we've been chasing love has been entirely through performance. It doesn't come from that spontaneous, playful urge that allows us to act and behave in ways that are sometimes not wonderful to be around. Sometimes we are sad, sometimes we're lonely, sometimes we're despairing, sometimes we're frustrated, and many of us learn from our childhoods that those emotional states are not to be tolerated. They wouldn't be met or read by the caretakers, and so we learned to swallow those impulses, and that creates a feeling of emptiness. Every time we repress a core emotion, we feel a little bit emptier and a little less fulfilled in our lives. So for Winnicott, the problem is not our desires, but how our desires are created. If our desires are created to get love from other people, then they are inauthentic. If our desires are created without regard to other people, and we find secure, tolerant relationships where we can, assuming the desires are not harmful, we can act them out, then the desires are true, authentic. So, it's a very powerful way of looking at the world, both in terms of uh, spaces where we feel omnipotent and fully in control versus spaces where we are, have to be compliant and the idea that, in certain, that when we are spontaneous and fluid and feeling all of the emotions that we are authentic and when we are acting in ways to try to get approval from others, we are in, in fact acting out of false self. Winnicott also noted that the more abandoning our childhood, the more and the greater the tendency we will be to be dissociative. We will be captured easily by thoughts because we will find our thinking and our fantasies in the realm of our uh, cognitive ideas safer than the body. The authentic fluid child is very physical, very free to dance, to move its limbs, to be unconstrained. The child that is brought up in a abandoning or not safe or holding environment will become more and more prone to flights of fantasy where it checks out from reality. According to Winnicott, uh, the body is the ultimate aim or realm of the true self. And 
Interestingly enough, the Buddha, in his endless emphasis upon returning to the body as the foundation of a return to present authentic awareness, was essentially calling for the same embodied practice. Now, to Winnicott, the therapist understands and mirrors the uh, patient in a way that the parent, if they weren't a good enough parent, failed to do so. <coughs> the, the therapist provides a safe space where the patient doesn't have to make sense, doesn't have to speak in straight lines, can have disjointed narratives, fluid creative ideas, can speak freely and associatively, can in essence return to that or create that holding environment that was abruptly broken off. So while Freud saw gaps in narratives and disjointed stories of life, a sign that the id was breaking through inappropriately, Winnicott saw this as a good sign, that people were learning to find a safe space where they could act out an authentic self. And he believed that disjointed, creative, fluid narrative should be tolerated and encouraged. So it's not surprising that Winnicott was one of the first major psychologists that championed art therapy and artists as in touch with something that he believed to be far more important than uh, what early psychologists believed. So meditation, especially mindfulness meditation, what the Buddha called sati, in my experience, can also provide us with that transitional space where we can once again allow ourselves to have fluid desires, fluid emotions, fluid impulses without rejecting, without arguing, without repression. What the Buddha called Sati Sampujana, or bare awareness without judgment, without repression, is the practice of simply returning to whatever our experience is right now, first and fully in the body. The, the Buddha in the Mindfulness Suttas always talks about locating each experience first in the body and allowing the emotion to present itself, to arise and pass without any interruption, without any demands, without any external judgment that any emotional experience we're feeling, even anger or frustration or disappointment is wrong. So we are returning to what Winnicott would call the authentic flow of experience. Many of us because we have learned or been taught to abandon our true, authentic flow of desires, find it very difficult. We become dismissive of our own emotions. We withhold our affects, which are emotions, from other people. And hopefully the space of a Buddhist environment is a place where we can be authentic and express what we're experiencing. And in our practice, we can have any emotion, any feeling state, without rejecting it or believing it's wrong. This is why when we meditate, if you find you're anxious, you're sad, you're grieving, 
you are lonely, you're distracted, none of that is incorrect. What you want to do is create a safe container, which is another Winnicott concept, where you can hold and be with and nurture your emotional lives without any form of repression. This is, in many ways, one of the Buddha's great contributions to psychology, the idea of mindfulness creating a safe place where we no longer have to continue the repressive agendas that we've learned all too soon in life. In uh, Winnicott's last book, in 1971, shortly before he died, Playing in Reality, he said that um, we all need to have an intensely personal realm of creative, spontaneous expression, a place where we can go, where we don't have to play by the rules, where we can be free to explore, where we can have the ability to encourage to touch the primitive processes of the emotional mind. And finally, a few quotes by Winnicott. It is in playing and only in playing that the individual child or adult is able to be creative and use their whole personality. And it is only in playing and being creative that the individual discovers their true self. I think that's some of the most powerful words. Winnicott said, it's a poor thing to be sane all the time. <laughs> and feeling real is more than it's ex existing. It's finding a way to exist as oneself and to have a self into which one can retreat for relaxation. And what else, after all, are we doing with our practices than to create an internal experience where we can retreat and find some peace?